My name is Stuart Albright. This is a podcast about the messes we make and the messes we endure as our parents get older. It's a story about illness and loss, but it's also a story about joy. August 6, 2020 was shaping up to be a good day. It was my wife Jenny's birthday, and we were planning to have a family dinner at my brother's house in Cary. Mom had been in her new apartment here in Durham for a few days, and she was going to join us for the celebration. August 6 happened to be my dad's birthday as well. I'm not sure if that had anything to do with what was about to happen, but maybe it did. I still don't know. All I know is that I called my mom around lunchtime to check on her. Rob and I took turns doing this, making sure she took her morning and evening medicines. She took a complicated mix of at least 10 separate meds a day, ranging from the kind of blood pressure pills that many older people take, to some specialized pills for her pulmonary hypertension, which, if not covered by Medicare, would have quickly eaten away all of her money. One pill in particular helped with her anxiety. Mom started taking this pill about a decade ago, around the time that my dad's, my parents' finances took a nosedive. It helped to take the edge off of her worrying, she always told us. Mom had never been to see a psychologist. She just told her doctor that she worried too much sometimes, and this pill was the result. As soon as I called Mom on August the 6th, I knew that something was off. Hey, Mom, I said when she picked up. What do you need? she asked. I'm just checking on you, I said. There was silence on the other line. Is everything all right? I asked. We're about to have a social hour in the lobby. What do you need? There wasn't a bit of warmth in her voice. This didn't sound like my mom. I just wanted to make sure you took your pills this morning. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? No, I didn't take them. Did you forget? No. When was the last time you took your meds? I don't know. A few days ago, maybe? Don't worry about it. I felt the beginning of a headache coming on. What do you mean, don't worry about it? You've got to take your pills, Mom. You don't have to worry about me anymore. Mom, you've got to... She interrupted me. You're going to make me late. Mom, you've got to take your pills. I'm going to go now. She hung up the phone on me. I felt angry tears start to form as I called her back. What, son? Mom, you've got to take your pills right now. I said don't worry about it. Mom, I said don't worry about it. You know what? You're dead to me. Buh bye She hung up on me again. Jenny was standing in the doorway with a concerned look on her face. I filled her in on the conversation and immediately got in the car. On my way to see Mom, I called my brother and told him what happened, and he said he'd just gotten off the phone with Mom as well. She told him he was dead to her also. Then I called the director of her apartment complex and asked them to look for mom in the main lobby until I could get there. As I made the 15-minute drive, I replayed the conversation with mom in my head. I'd never heard her sound like that before. This wasn't the warm, caring person who never had a mean word for anybody. This was somebody else. What set her off? Not taking her meds? The fact that it was her dead husband's birthday? The excitement of moving to a new place?
The director greeted me with a sympathetic look when I got to the main lobby. Mom was sitting in her office and drinking a glass of water. She gave me a distracted smile when she saw me, then she continued talking to another woman in the room. For the next hour, she kept talking nonstop as I tried to figure out what was going on. Mom said that she was excited about the social hour, and she was excited about her new apartment, and she laughed when she told the director I was dead to her. Then she smiled a little to let me know I wasn't really dead to her, but she was also annoyed that I was there right now because I was getting in the way of her fun. Couldn't I just live a little and lighten up? I'd see her in a few hours for the dinner at Rob's house, and she'd play with her grandkids then, but right now, I was getting in the way. I just needed to stop worrying so much. Why was everyone worrying so much? She could take care of herself. Bye bye Go home, Stu. I'll talk to you later. I'm going to make some friends at this happy hour. She only stopped talking when she ran out of breath, which was impressive because she was on her portable oxygen machine, and that machine was definitely not designed for a woman who hadn't taken her meds and was going off of pure adrenaline or grief or something. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I needed to get her to a doctor immediately. Eventually, I persuaded my mom that it was time to go to Jenny's party. Right now? Right now, I said. I'm not sure mom even realized what was happening as I ushered her to my car. I called Rob and gave him an update, told him we were going to stop by the nearest clinic and figure things out from there. Mom never stopped talking, and she wasn't making a whole lot of sense now. She was full of energy and she was smiling, but she wasn't herself. The next hour was a mess. Within two minutes of sitting with the doctor at the clinic, they said that she needed to go to the emergency room. Did I want to call an ambulance or did I want uh, to take her myself? Whichever is faster, I said. So I got her back in the car, her oxygen machine barely keeping up with her talking as I made my way to the emergency room, telling her we just need to check one more thing before we head to the party. I want to see my grandsons, she demanded. We've got to go here first, Mom. She rolled her eyes. You're not really dead to me. I know that, Mom. You and Rob worry too much. You've got to live a little. Stop worrying so much about me. Okay, Mom. Let's get you checked out first, okay? Five hours later, I sat in a hallway of the Duke emergency room, waiting for a room to become available. Mom sat beside me, and she was still talking nonstop. Luckily, the hallway was relatively empty. Mom had been talking to everyone we met, and she couldn't understand why everyone was acting so sad. We all needed to live a little, she said. It didn't matter what that we were in an overcrowded emergency room at the peak of COVID. Why was everybody being so rude? They're sick, Mom, I said. Everyone's here for a reason. She kept on talking, and I waited for her to finally pass out from exhaustion, but she never did. Around 9 o'clock that night, Rob came to take my place. I gave him a hug and wished him luck, hoping that before too long they would get her into a room and give her something to calm her down.
so my brother sat there with mom all night long in that empty hallway. He sat there for ten straight hours listening to her talk nonstop. In the morning, I arrived for the next shift, and mom was still talking nonstop. She continued that way until lunchtime when they finally got her a room in the ER. I'm not going anywhere, she said when the nurse arrived. Come on, mom. Why does everyone think something's wrong with me? I'm fine. The nurse found a wheelchair and persuaded mom to get into it. Then they wheeled her down to the room. I'm not sitting on that bed, mom said when we arrived. Come on, mom, this isn't you. I'll sit on that chair. I'm not getting on that bed. We moved her to the chair. I could hear someone screaming in a room down the hallway. For the next 30 minutes, two nurses and I tried to persuade mom to get out of the chair and lie on the bed. She crossed her arms and refused to budge. The man continued screaming down the hall. Another man with a gunshot wound was propped up in the hall outside our door, moaning to himself. Come on, Mom, this isn't you, I said again and again. My voice started to crack. Mom began to yell at us. I called her brother Lee, then some of her closest friends, hoping that someone could get through to her and make her get out of that chair and lie on the bed. But nothing worked. I'm so sorry, I said to the nurses. She isn't usually like this. Mom kept her arms folded and refused to budge. She'd cry and then immediately stop crying. She'd close her eyes as if she was about to fall asleep, then go off on another tangent for ten straight minutes. I'm not sure why, but eventually she gave in. We lifted her into the bed, they put an IV in her arm and gave her a sedative, and within minutes, she was out cold. Later that day, Rob came to take my place again, and I drove home to see Jenny and the boys. Rob and I had both missed her party last night, but as with all things related to my parents, Jenny had an infinite amount of patience. She brewed me a cup of coffee, and I sat down, taking a deep breath. I gripped the coffee mug, but my hands were shaking so much that I spilled the coffee all over the floor. Back at the hospital, Rob had his own cup of coffee to keep him awake after not sleeping at all the previous night. Eventually, he called with an update on Mom. She was being moved to the psychiatric wing of the intensive care unit. They were still trying to figure out what was wrong, but Mom had clearly experienced some kind of manic episode. Due to COVID protocols, only one family member was allowed to visit her. At first, I thought this meant one visitor at a time, but it actually meant one visitor for the duration of the patient's stay in the hospital. We had no idea how long that was going to be. Rob volunteered to take the lead on our mom's medical care. For the next 34 days, he would be the only family member allowed in there to see her. For 34 days, he made the trip back and forth between home and the hospital, meeting with doctors and specialists and psychologists and a whole army of people trying to figure out what was wrong with our mom. At first, we let mom keep her cell phone in the hospital room. The manic behavior came and went, but for a while at least, she was too tired to do much of anything. And then came the night of the Waffle House dinner. Mom went into a full-blown manic break 
and she decided to treat the nurses on her hall to a meal. The problem was that she didn't have access to her credit card. So she got on her cell phone and started calling people all through the night until she finally got an old friend on the phone who was willing to pay for the meal. This friend had lost her husband to dementia, and I guess she recognized something in my mom's voice, the familiar grip of mental illness that causes good people to do things that they would never do otherwise. So before the night was over, the nurses on mom's intensive care floor were treated to a feast of $300 worth of waffles. Somewhere in the midst of that gesture, beneath the delirium and the manic behavior, was our sweet, kind mom, the woman who always put other people's needs ahead of her own. But after that night, we decided to take her cell phone away. This podcast was written and edited by me, Stuart Albright, with grateful assistance from Robert Albright, Molly Albright, and Jenny Albright. Technical support and resources were provided by the Jordan Innovation Lab. This podcast attempts to honor the complicated legacy of my parents, Nancy and Alan Albright. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at stuartalbright at yahoo.com.